In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Before I get to my next guest, Ross Greenberg, I want to remind you about a couple more of our friends, starting with the folks over at Adele Golf. Is your driver adjustable? Of course it is. How about your irons? Didn't think so. Adele's new SMS irons give you adjustability in an iron to match your swing. These new irons come with three weights lined up across the back of the club. By moving the heavy weight to the heel, center, or toe location, you can match the club to your swing instead of vice versa. The result? Total control of the club face for more distance and accuracy. Your irons can't do this. Check them out online by going to adelgolf.com. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented Squares Toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, get the Squares 30-day money-back guarantee, and use promo code DISTANCE to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. Squares, the distance golf shoe. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is a guy that I and my co-host Bob Lazari over in our football show Thursday Night Tailgate, we think the world of, and that's Ross Greenberg. As you guys know, when it's the last episode of the season, particularly the last guest of a season, I put extra thought into who's the last voice I want you to hear. Because I want to leave you with someone whose thoughts and stories are going to resonate with you over the winter. Someone who has done really important and meaningful work and someone you're going to keep saying to yourself, that guy or that gal is really something special. This year, that voice is that of Ross Greenberg. Ross spent 33 years at HBO. He served as vice president and executive producer of HBO Sports from 1985 to 1990, senior vice president and executive producer from 1990 to 2000, and then president of HBO Sports from 2000 to 2011. He left and created Ross Greenberg Productions, and since he has made the best sports documentaries of this or any other time, he and his team are responsible for the all-access shows on Showtime, The Road to the Winter Classic, The Road to the Stanley Cup, responsible for David Ortiz in the moment, and a Jack Nicklaus series of videos for the USGA, plus Jack Nicklaus, The Making of a Champion for Fox. And these are just a few of the great documentaries he's done. He was also the executive producer for the movie Miracle about the 1980 U.S. hockey team. He's won over 100 major television awards, including 56 sports Emmys, 21 Cable Ace Awards, 12 Golden Eagle Awards, plus five International Monitor Awards and eight Peabody Awards. And I'm incredibly honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hi, Ross. Thanks for coming back on the show. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me and thanks for that intro. Very nice of you. Absolutely. 
Ross, catch us up. What are some of the projects you're currently working on? Well, first of all, I just want to say since Hal started the discussion on his own, live will live or die with one item, and that is whether they can actually lure people to television. If they don't lure people to television, which they're not doing, and they're getting no coverage of any of their, quote, exhibitions, then the sports washing that the Saudi Arabian government is looking for will not exist. And therefore, what they will be doing is just throwing money out the window and allowing a few golfers to benefit from that and take it all to the bank, and they will not be achieving what they their goal is. So I think I would give, and you know, Fox has not pulled the trigger yet. You haven't seen any announcement that they will get any coverage of their golf tournaments. So therefore, if they don't over the next couple of years, I would assume they'll pull the plug and just continue to try to uh, make sure that Russia gets as much oil as they can and the rest of the world, you know, crumbles in golf. And that that's a sad commentary, but that's that's the fact of the matter. How's <laughs> that for an analysis? Yeah, so, <laughs> hey, well, take that a, a step further, Ross. I mean, with, with that kind of money, don't you think eventually somebody, and it doesn't have to be a, a Fox or an NBC or an ABC or one of the major networks, but don't you think they're going to find some network that's going to want to take their money and put the show on TV? Well, I mean, that would change the d- dynamic of how – networks buy rights to sporting events because in fact you know normally networks pay the league and in this case you would have to have the Saudi Arabian government paying for Fox to air their exhibitions and you know I just don't see that happening and that's actually what was proposed to Fox over the last six months, and they said, no, thank you, because that's a ridiculous precedent to set of of a major league sports organization. So that won't happen, and I just don't think it's worth it for Fox because it's all about, you know, advertising, supporting those kinds of rights fees, and why would Fox put that kind of money into an event that's no one's really caring for or watching? Yeah. Dustin is doing well. I mean, Dustin can bring all that money to the bank, and God bless him. He made $30 million this year or whatever he did. But, uh, you know, good for him. But it's it's obviously a money grab for all the players and the American public and, I guess, golf fans around the world couldn't care less. You've had a longstanding relationship with the folks at the USGA. Do you think yep. – a U.S. Open, a USGA folks are going to allow the at least the players that have earned the right, if you will, former champions, things of that nature, people that, you know, players that managed to stay in the top of the world golf ranking by the time we get to the U.S. Open. And then the other, you know what, I mean, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you've got a relationship with the other ones as well. Do you think that they're going to let yeah. those guys play? Well, you know what I've been told, uh, and I can't remember who told me, but everyone's watching Augusta, the USGA, PGA of America, the RNA. They're all waiting to see what the Masters does. 
And I think all four of them will go in sync uh, with what Augusta decides to do. Um, you know, and really, if I was putting money on it, Augusta, you know, tends to really play to their own tune. And I wouldn't be surprised if they reject uh, those players. And um, we'll see what happens. But, you know, a lot of ex-champions uh, of the Masters tournament on that tour. So we'll see what happens. But I think, you know, they will all follow suit and take the lead of uh, the Augusta National. Ross, <laughs> I want to switch gears a little bit with you. And this baseball season is, you know, one of the major stories has been Aaron Judge's chase of Roger mm-hmm. Maris's single season home run record. If you discount all the the steroid guys, and at least at a minimum mm-hmm. the American League record, and you were the executive producer for Billy Crystal's movie Sixty One. And for the mm-hmm. folks who don't know the story behind what Roger Maris went through and how Yankee fans did not want him to break Roos' record, talk about that and doing that passion movie with Billy Crystal? First of all, I I called HBO uh, in September and said, you know, I think you need to put 61 up again, and you need to at least put it on HBO Max, and it should be mandatory that every person who's a baseball fan watch the film as Aaron Judge was going for 61 and ultimately hit 62. Uh, it was a labor of love that that film. We um, we started that off during the home run race in '98, which obviously was really an abomination given the fact that you know Mark McGuire was pumping himself full of steroids while he was doing it. But you know it was a labor of love for for Billy and I. I convinced Billy to direct the film and not just act as my co-executive producer. And we spent, I don't know, two, three years honing in on the script and then ultimately going to Tiger Stadium to recreate Yankee Stadium and going out to L.A. to shoot, you know, the majority of the film. And it was just breathtaking uh, to be able to work with the Mantle and Maris family and get their blessing and, and tell that gripping story of two guys that were racing for uh, Babe Ruth's record, one who the American public wanted to break it, and Mickey Mantle, who was everyone's hero. And then, of course, you had Roger Maris, who no one really was captivated with, who was living a clean life against Mickey Mantle's unclean life. And uh, and there was a certain irony there in America defining its heroes. But the bottom line was that Roger overcame some unbelievable obstacles uh, to hit that 61st home run. And it was, uh, it was a very emotional film and an emotional filmmaking experience with Billy, who was just incredibly into it. And ha- we, we just had a lot of fun. I'll never forget when we wrapped out at Tiger Stadium when we finished our last scene, uh, just walking around the stadium with Billy and, and just reminiscing on what we had just experienced. Cause these were our he- boyhood heroes. And here we were recreating them and making Merlin Mantle, who came to visit us, that's Mickey's wife, uh, we made her just crying like a baby when she saw the number seven and the number nine on the field. Um, And she felt like she was seeing her husband all over again. 
and Roger went through. I mean, the, the fans didn't want him to break the records. The Yankees, the Yankee fans, right. didn't want him to break no, the yeah. records, and they were booing him and death threats and the whole nine, right? Yeah, I mean, they really wanted Mickey to break the record. I mean, it was one thing for Mickey Mantle to break Babe Ruth's record, but you know, who is this Roger Maris? He had come in and, ironically, he had won the MVP award the year before, 1960, because he was a hell of a ball player, but. He hadn't really grabbed onto the, you know, to the New York scene, and he was kind of cold and and a little off-putting with with the writers in New York. And at that time, you know, there were multi numbers of writers uh, writing for many many newspapers, and it just it just wasn't clicking. And uh, yeah, they all wanted Mickey to win that batting title and that uh, that home run race, and you know, Mickey got hurt late. Uh, and as it turned out, 21,000 people showed up the stadium for Roger's 61st home run. So um, it just wasn't that big a deal. Um, and of course, he had to deal with the asterisk, given that uh, you know they, they put an asterisk next to the 61, which was the title of our movie, because Babe had done it in 154 games, and here was Roger doing it in 162, and they didn't want him to do it. So they put an asterisk there, and it was taken off by Giamatti, but but it was a shame that it was ever there in the first place. Or Faye Vincent, I'm sorry. Faye did it. Ross, you also recently did a docu titled Extra Innings from 9-11 mm-hmm. 20 Years Later. And mm-hmm. the subtext to that was never forget. Is, is that why you made the film? Because you didn't want people to forget and perhaps educate those who either weren't born yet or we're just too young to remember what happened? I know. It all, it almost was dumbfounding to me that we were making that film 20 years later, and there were people that were trying to experience that time and place uh, and hadn't been born. Um, yeah, that was the motivation. TNT approached and said, we'd like to make this film. Now, I had made a film for HBO in, like, 2004 because I had experienced, you know, that traumatic September, October, November uh, in New York, because that's where I live. And, and, you know, I'd lost my mom on September 9th, if you can believe it, 2001, and was at her funeral uh, when those planes struck, uh, giving a eulogy. So, you know, for me, it was a harrowing experience. I came back and a month later, you know, in October, I found myself at game three. Um, my wife didn't even want me to go to the game because she thought the stadium was going to get bombed. But I went and and had the experience I've never had before at a, at a stadium, which, you know, first of all, the guttural kind of roar of that crowd was unlike anything I had never, ever witnessed because of the traumatic events of 9-11 and, and what the city was going through. And what we wanted to do with that film and then the subsequent film 20 years later was to update everyone on the people and the you know who we had touched base with in 2005 and bring their lives up to date and get a good idea of how their lives on lives unfolded after 9/11 so that everyone could kind of understand the trauma of that time period and also the the fact that 20 years later you know, we needed to understand what New York City and this country and that devastating event did to us and how the game of baseball, 
helped us kind of come back from it all and at least give our lives some sense of normalcy, which is exactly what I personally was going through at the time. Um, so it was, it was, it was an important documentary and I, and I hope that it, you know, gets seen for many, many years to come. So we will never forget. Ross, you brought back a lot of the players that were involved at that time. I mean, you had mm-hmm. Joe Torre and Bobby Valentine, Mike Piazza, Derek mm-hmm. Jeter. What was it like understanding what those events were like for them, kind of seeing it all through their eyes? Yeah, it was nice, Chris. It was, you know, they could actually take time and reflect on it because they could understand the importance of those games to New York City and they could take time to finally reflect on the importance of their baseball exploits, but also their off the field kind of generous uh, take on, on how to help people uh, in New York city and, and the, and the suburbs during that time period. And I think it was very emotional for Joe. He broke down during our interview uh, as did Bobby. Um, but you could really see that, you know, many times we just look at them as, as kind of statues and heroes. Um, we don't see them as, as normal human beings that, that just try to use their platform in baseball to help people, uh, during desperate times, which is exactly what we were dealing with. And you mentioned helping people, Ross, and you did a great job not dwelling on the loss but tying in the hope and the determination that people have had right. over the last 20 years. Talk about that. Well, because at the time, if you remember, and this is hard for people to understand now, given the horrible times that we're going through, but, you know, there was a, there was post-traumatic stress of, of 9-11 created an odd situation where, you know, I remember walking by uh, fire stations and seeing policemen even after game three, the Yankees had won and I was leaving the stadium. And, and as I was leaving, there were 10 cops when I was going to my car and I high fived all 10 of them, high fived them, you know, one after another in row, in a row and with a smile on my face and a tear in my eye because there was a connection between people in New York and the cops and the, and the firefighters, uh, because they were so heroic during this time period. So, you know, God knows we don't have that kind of relationship now and we should, but, um, you know, it takes, sometimes it takes a tragedy like that. So I, I think that, you know, that kind of feeling was very necessary to bring back 20 years later so you could understand the time and place and how this country can unite uh, instead of the fractious craziness that we go through today when there is a tragedy like that, just like you saw even with the hurricane down in, you know, uh, Florida recently. Um, you know, you saw DeSantis and Biden standing side by side. So, you know, baseball was kind of a vehicle to bring people together. And even people outside of New York were actually rooting for the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> which is something that hadn't existed before um, right. because they were they were really thinking about New York City. Ross, switching <laughs> gears again, you you know my golf idol is Jack Nicholas. We've talked about yeah, it oh some God. of the other times. Yeah. 
that you've been on the show and and Jack, the making of a champion is my favorite docu that you've done along mm-hmm. with some of the stuff you've done about the 1980 hockey team. But in this one, you interview many of the great players from his era. And, and mm-hmm. I was curious, did, did you learn different things about Jack by talking about him through to those players and, and understanding who Jack was and what he was through their eyes? Yeah, I mean, it's what he represented, you know, and, and what, you know, how he came along and like Tiger, he played a game that no one was familiar with. Uh, you know, he was hitting those woods long, much longer than the rest of the field and precise and his iron game, his one iron, his dogged, uh, putting that he seemed to sink everything. Uh, and his incredible competitive drive to not only win 18 majors, but come in second uh, every time he, he went into a major tournament if he didn't win it. And, you know, I, I just don't think the game had ever seen anything like him. Um, and it, it it really was the beginnings of of golf in this country in terms of media exposure and and setting a tone. Um, and, and the other thing about Jack is, you know, as he aged and he's still quite active, as you know, he really kind of settled down and, and can start to reflect and appreciate, uh, who he was and, and what his impact was all about in a, in a kind of humble way. I mean, he, you know, getting to know him, I did three docus with him. Uh, and he just, he's fun. He, you know, it's the most fun I ever had was sitting down with him. And, and whenever we do an interview, he'd say, now you got to understand, um, that when I started interviewing, he was like 72 and then, you know, 75 and 77. And during those in, uh, instances, when we sit down at his house, he would always at the beginning of the interview say, you know, I don't remember that much anymore. And then we'd start talking and doing the interview, and he'd tell me about every shot and every major that he ever hit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it always cracked me up, and I always teased him about it. You know, whenever he raised that prior to the interview, I said, "Yeah, yeah, sure, Jack. I know you don't know any, can't remember anything." And um, and we just had a great time doing it. And I just, I think you know one of the most the fun loving things that I do is. At the end of a, uh, the long process of doing a documentary, many times there are uh, premieres. And I'll never forget when we did the premiere of the film you're talking about, The Making of a Champion or whatever, we sat side by side next to each other, and uh, I could see the smile on his face at the end of the film. And there's no greater satisfaction as a filmmaker than when you can see the subject really enjoy what he's watching and appreciate that, you know, we tried our hardest to to give the truth and to tell people exactly who he was and what he accomplished and what he stood for. Um, Barbara was also so gracious. I don't know if you've ever met her, Chris, but she's really special too. And the two of them are just really giving, loving, wonderful people. Let's take that a half step forward because you've done so many wonderful docus and at the end of those when you do those premieres 
Along the same lines, you mentioned of, of getting to see the smile on Jack's face or maybe also on Barbara Nicholas's face for the great job you've done. What have been some of the other premieres where you've got to sit with the subjects and just watch them enjoy what you've put out there? Well, I'll never forget when we did Miracle and, you know, we went out to Hollywood and, and did the premiere for the movie and we invited all 20 of the U.S. hockey team players back together, which was very rare that they were all in one place together. And we screened the movie for them and the Herb Brooks family. Herb unfortunately passed, you know, a couple weeks before we started principal photography on that movie. He was part of, you know, I had gotten the rights from him to, to actually do the film. Um, but then he passed in the middle of pre-production. So the family was there and all the players were there and, you know, they were watching the film for the first time. And to actually sit in that theater and then watch them smiling and, and enjoying themselves and, and getting their reaction to the film. But more than that, at the end of the film, the, the entire, you know, 500 people audience, uh, stood up and started applauding, you know, in a almost screaming wow. as if they had just won the gold medal again. But here's the wow, okay, Chris? Disney was smart enough to take up the curtain on the other side of the screen, and there standing <laughs> were the 20 players in their in their uniform, in wow. their jerseys. And the place just cried their eyes out. I mean, I've no, never, yeah. you know, it was almost as if we were watching the game. And uh, that was the premiere you know, beyond all premieres and not something I'll never forget. No doubt. That's fantastic. <laughs> Ross, be before I let you go again, like what, are, what are some of the things you're working on now that we can look forward to? Well, I'll tell you something, you know, Bill Russell was a close friend for many, many years. Um, he was very special. I would put him right on par with two other people that I got to know real well, Billy Jean King and Arthur Ashe. And about a year and a half ago, uh, put together a group to set out to do the definitive Bill Russell documentary. And Netflix bought it. And in, after the first of the year, you'll start hearing about it next week. They did announce it a couple months ago, but now you're going to start hearing the drumbeat. Very proud. Sam Pollard directing uh, myself, Larry Gordon, who did Field of Dreams, and a guy named Mike Richardson, all working. And Larry did about 80 other films that you know, like Die Hard, 48 Hours, you know, Hellboy, you know, everything you can think of. And uh, we we have been really grinding away and putting together a very important, big uh, two-episode, three-hour film on this life story of Bill Russell. And we happened to, you know, uh, do the last interview with Bill, uh, which is in the film. Um, and we accumulated seven other interviews with Bill over the years and interviewed about 35 people who were close first person with Bill to describe what this man's life is all about. Now, 
little did, well, little, I shouldn't say little did we know. I mean, he was in the later years of his life and we knew he was failing and he passed. And then you saw the outpouring of love and the storyline of Bill Russell. You, you kind of know the story, but here you will get the understanding as to why when he passed away, it was such a significant, you know, passing and like Ali almost, uh, you'll get a better understanding of, of what he meant to this country and around the world. Ross, before I let you go, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? How can we follow you online and on social media as well? So I have uh, com, which is a site that uh, kind of looks at everything we've done and everything we're going to do. Although I need to update it more. I'm not as good as you, Chris, at doing that. <laughs> but uh, but but uh you know that is uh that is one way to keep up uh and I am on Twitter although you know I I don't go on there too much um but uh I guess you know I need a good PR firm to to keep the ball rolling so that people do know because that is a change Chris in our industry it's very hard to break through PR wise and alert people um as to what's coming up it is a kind of a, a sad commentary. Even the networks are having problems, you know, promoting their product. Um, because is that right? When you're, yeah, because think about it. When you're streaming shows and most of us go home and look for our, you know, series that we're going to get into and start binge watching, you're not seeing a lot of promos when you do that. And, uh, yeah. and you really lose sight. And no one's reading the newspaper. Yeah, you go online, but it's just you don't have the awareness that you used to, you know. Um, so you can put up some billboards, I guess. But even the networks, they don't they don't want to market and spend all that money. Uh, and so it's almost like you have to have a word of mouth situation, which is fine by me. That just puts pressure on us you know, to deliver a product that, that gets that word of mouth. And I, I think the Bill Russell project will do that. Um, but I need to go on shows with Chris Mascaro, too, in order to get the word out. Well, Chris <laughs> Mascaro is always here for you, Ross Greenberg. So <laughs> okay. you, you need, you need you word it. of mouth. I got a mouth and I got a microphone and, <laughs> and I've got a little bit of a following on social media. So whatever you need to Sounds get out good. there, please let me know and we'll get it out uh, there. You for got me. it. You got it. Ross, you I, can't, got it. I can't thank you enough. You're absolutely one all of my right. all-time favorite people to get to talk to. Thanks, and Chris. and you've been so gracious with your time with, with uh, this show and on Thursday Night Tailgate as well. I hope I get the privilege of catching up with you again soon. You got it. Thanks. Take care, Ross. Okay, you too. That is the great Ross Greenberg, folks. And you want to talk about the preeminent guy for making documentaries and films. It doesn't get any bigger or better than that guy. Again, you look at over the 100 awards that he has won for the for the films that he has done. Ross Greenberg um, Productions is the name of the website. I highly recommend you go on there and take a look around at the things that he has done and created for the sports world. And then just, you know, again, that 9-11 uh, documentary we were talking about, very important. Please go out there and watch it. It's fantastically done, of, of course, because Ross did it. But the information and the things that you'll see um, are, are very important for us to never forget. 
and what it was like for our country, and then how we made our way back in the important role that the game of baseball played in it. And then selfishly, you know what a huge Jack Nicholas fan I am, and he has done a handful of documentaries on Jack. This last one um, is as good as anything you'll ever see about Jack Nicholas, the game of golf, what it takes to be a champion, and the things that Jack did to get to where he got. So, And then 61 is one of my all-time favorites. You guys know I hate the Yankees. Hate the Yankees. I'm a Red Sox fan and a Pirates fan, but can't stand the Yankees. 61, brilliant. And based on what we just saw to Ross's point, it should be something that every baseball fan goes out there to see, to understand what it was like for Roger Maris and his chase for 61. Brilliant stuff. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this season of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again tonight to Tom Patrick, Matthew Lawrence, Hal Sutton, and Ross Greenberg for making it a very special night. Folks, I have some special segments that I'm going to be doing for you throughout the winter, so stay close to this podcast, and it's available on every podcasting app out there or our website, nextonthetee.net. I've got an interview with golf writer Jay Ravel that I'll be putting out soon. I had a conversation earlier this week with Billy Mayfair. I'll be putting that out as well. And please keep voting for the show in the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list. You can do it at podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. Folks, it's been an honor bringing you another season of Next on the T. You are all the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. Thank you so much for being so great to me, so great to the show. Until next time, hit them straight, my friends. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. 
What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com.